What if one day Jeff Bezos woke up in his $23 million Washington, D.C. home? The 34,000 square foot mansion includes 11 enormous bedrooms. Or his $80 million New York penthouse. All combined, you have four floors, totally more than 17,000 square feet. Please, Mr. Bezos, invite us over. <laughs> or in his $165 million L.A. mansion. The purchase is reportedly the highest paid for residential real estate in the L.A. area. Suzanne, Wherever he woke up. Say he decided that morning he was feeling generous. So Jeff Bezos, founder and CEO of Amazon, has 876000 employees around the world. Writer Anand Girdadas told us about this hypothetical. And we should note, Amazon is among the sponsors of NPR. And if Jeff Bezos were to wake up uh, feeling incredibly generous for everything they have done to help him become the world's richest person, um, he could give each of them a $105,000 bonus. Now, that's if you calculate using Bezos' net worth as of August this year. Girdadas, who wrote the book Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World, says you might be thinking, sure, okay, a nice thought. But no one in a position like Jeff Bezos would simply give away all that money. And your listeners should be reassured that if he were to do that, he would have exactly as much money as he had at the beginning of this year before the pandemic. Jeff Bezos, along with the rest of the country's billionaire class, has gotten richer during a pandemic that has wiped out economic opportunity for millions of Americans. Here's Chuck Collins with the Institute for Policy Studies. So we're seeing, you know, an overall increase in wealth among the billionaires, but then some of those are seeing their wealth go up double or 40, 50 percent increases in less than a year. Consider this. Collins says in the decade that included the Great Recession, billionaires lost 6% of their wealth. But over the last 10 years, from 2010 to 2020, it grew 85%. We'll explore why they've continued to do so well in spite of the pandemic and whether the system that made that possible is fair. From NPR, I'm Audie Cornish. It's Thursday, October 8th. I'm Rodney Carmichael. I'm Sydney Madden. And on our new podcast, Louder Than a Riot, we trace the collision of rhyme and punishment in America. We were hunted by police. We were literally physically hunted. You'd be standing on the corner, drug squad pull up, everybody will run. New from NPR Music. Listen to Louder Than a Riot. It's Consider This from NPR. We should point out first that billionaires always take a hit during any economic downturn. Billionaire wealth during the Great Recession went down, just like everyone else's economic prospects. And it took two and a half years for the Forbes 400 billionaires to recover the wealth collectively that they had in 2007. Two and a half years of recovery. Chuck Collins expected to see that kind of trajectory when he began analyzing billionaire wealth during the pandemic. So I was sort of expecting U.S. billionaires were going to take a hit just like the rest of society, and they did for a little while in February. But then this other dynamic kicked in, which was kind of surging wealth. Can you give us some of the names? Who were the, the bigwigs, so to speak? Well, you know, some of them have seen their wealth surge faster than others. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, his wealth has tripled from like $27 billion to $90 billion. 
Uh, Jeff Bezos' wealth is up 72 billion uh, since the beginning of the year. And this year, more people joined the same club Musk and Bezos belong to. During a period of time in which 55 million people lost their jobs, America managed to create 29 new billionaires, many of them in sectors like technology, health supplies, or e-commerce. That's at a time when taxes for the richest Americans are the lowest they've been in decades. Chuck Collins says when you look at other times in American history, when the country has faced a massive crisis that required huge collective action, the richest Americans have been asked to do more. You know, coming out of World War I, that was sort of the, the cap point of a period of, of progressively concentrating wealth and power. And that's what really led to the passage of the 16th Amendment and the creation of the income tax. And during World War II, where everybody's supposed to pull together and... We've got to follow a new way of life, a war way of life. You're supposed to donate your aluminum and scrap metal and... You give us the scrap. We'll turn it into tanks. We'll turn it into planes. Uh, There was tremendous concern about war profiteering. Back then, at the same time Americans were making so many sacrifices, defense contractors were making huge profits. So a Democratic senator from Missouri made a national issue out of it. Harry Truman really built his career uh, by chairing the Truman Commission, which uh, investigated and, and drew scrutiny to the war industries that were making you know, excessive profits during the war. That led to what was called an excess profits tax, enacted for a period of years around both world wars, designed to curb wartime windfalls. And the issue is not that some businesses do better uh, in hard times. The issue is what, do we, what choices do we make as a society to moderate that? To Anand Girdadas, the country is at a similar moment. Instead of the war profiteers of last century, he says we now have pandemic profiteers. And their extreme wealth, also generated during a time of national crisis, should be treated differently. Do we redistribute it on the back end through things like a wealth tax? Do we crack down on uh, lawful and unlawful tax avoidance and tax evasion? There is a very large number of Americans, left and right, who fundamentally agree that uh, the country doesn't feel like it's working for them or anyone they know. Can we talk about the term profiteer? And why do you think it applies here in the pandemic? where people didn't go out seeking to take advantage of the rest of us, right? They're, they're existing businesses that have benefited um, from what's going on in the economy. Well, just because you can't foresee the specific situation of a pandemic does not mean you have not been laying the groundwork for years to take advantage of, frankly, any kind of social condition that may come. If you are busting unions constantly... You are setting yourself up for a situation where it's going to be really easy for you to lay off people at will or, uh, you know, use flexible employment or contractors, which helps you take advantage of something like a pandemic in a way that a company with a strong union is going to find it harder to do. If you have not been paying proper taxes or avoiding, uh, you know, using the various Caribbean islands to hide your money, you're going to be in a really great place when a pandemic strikes to make rapid, nimble investments because you got a bunch more cash, you know, sitting in your reserves than you would have if you'd been paying your damn taxes. 
Look, I may not be completely opposite him on this particular topic, but where Anand and I really disagree is on the role of business. Alan Murray's got a different take on this. He's the CEO of Fortune Media, which publishes a business magazine by the same name. He actually agrees that today's billionaires could and should pay more in taxes. But he also says they are different from business leaders in years past because they spend their money and time on more than just their business. One of the interesting things of the last four or five years, I actually think it's been going on for a decade, is that more and more business leaders have have stepped out and said, we have to take responsibility for inequality. We have to take responsibility for climate change. We have to take responsibility for uh, social disparities and racial justice. These are all things that a decade or two or three ago would have been considered government responsibilities. That's not our job. Uh, businesses are starting to step up and address these problems. Are they doing enough? Probably not. Uh, can they solve the problems alone? Probably not. Uh, but business is changing. To your mind, um, is profiteers the right word to use for the people who have benefited in this particular moment? Well, it depends on who you're talking about. Are there profiteers out there? I mean, I've seen stories of people who stockpiled, uh, you know, masks and sold them at three times the market price. That's the definition of profiteering. But I wouldn't apply it to any company that makes a profit. So that's what I'm saying. Like, is it is it mislabeling it to say that about the billionaires who have benefited during this time? Yeah, let's take Bezos as an example. The man is ridiculously wealthy, right? We know that. But he uh, became ridiculously wealthy by creating a business that has made lots of lives better during this pandemic. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? The number one question that I would ask is how they dealt with their employees. In what ways? What do you mean? Just wages or giving additional benefits to accommodate you know, because play, of the pandemic? Well, safety. Safety, wages, uh, additional benefits. And if you have to do layoffs, do you do it in a, in a humane way? I mean, take the, It's worth uh, mentioning here that these are the kinds of questions that were asked during those wartime periods as well. Excess wealth taxes were usually repealed after a few years. Conservatives criticized the taxes as being hard to apply fairly. I mean, what's an excess profit versus a normal one? And in the words of the Treasury Secretary in 1919, Carter Glass, a penalty on brains, energy, and enterprise. Of course, with a company as large as Amazon, it's possible to find examples of the good and the bad. It's not just a matter of this sucks and, you know, it's a little bit harder on my body, but it is actually a matter of life and death. Earlier this year, John Hopkins had been working in an Amazon distribution center in San Leandro, California, through the pandemic. He sorted packages into the correct van for their delivery route. In the summer, he was suspended from work. And Hopkins says his supervisors told him the suspension was because he violated a new Amazon policy that states employees can't be on site more than 15 minutes before or after a shift. But Hopkins thinks it had more to do with him passing out union flyers to his colleagues in the break room. Part of the way that Jeff Bezos is making $13 billion in a day is by crushing workers' ability to speak out, to organize with one another because they're union busting. Someday, Hopkins says he wants to start his own tech company and he has ideas about a better system. 
for me, I think the solution to these problems isn't just breaking up big companies, it's giving workers more power in all companies. Today in public opinion polls, a majority of Americans, including many Republicans, do support more taxes on billionaires. Which brings us back to Chuck Collins at the Institute for Policy Studies, who says, yeah, a lot of billionaires have become more socially conscious and philanthropic during the pandemic. But it's really important to underscore that philanthropy is not a substitute for a fair tax system and adequately funded public services. In fact, most wealthy people don't give directly to uh, charities. They give to their own private foundations and donor-advised funds. So even during a pandemic, we're seeing these extreme inequalities of income and wealth were the pre-existing condition uh, that we entered the pandemic with. And that, at the, that the wealthy are getting wealthier and everyone else is becoming more insecure. One last thing fueling billionaire growth we haven't mentioned yet, the stock market. America's billionaires make a lot of their money from it. By one estimate, 84% of stocks owned by U.S. households are held by the richest 10% of Americans. And as the president frequently points out, the stock market is doing well. It's one of the reasons he gave earlier this week for ordering Republicans to walk away from the negotiating table and talks with Democrats over more coronavirus relief. In the meantime, on Thursday morning, a new round of unemployment numbers revealed more than 1.3 million people filed for state and expanded federal unemployment benefits last week. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Audie Cornish.